What's up everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Da Vinci Cases. Alright, so the way this works is we've got a clinical case followed by a board style question. So we're going to go through the question stem, point out the relevant clinical findings, take a look at the question and the answer choices, and then kind of divert for a minute and go through the relevant concepts to answering the question. Then we'll come back and apply those concepts that we went over to answering the question. So a 44-year-old woman presents to the emergency department complaining of vision changes. So we've got a middle-aged woman, she's complaining of vision changes. A number of things could cause vision changes could be some kind of vascular problem. It could be a brain tumor, brain abscess. And so it's, it could be a number of different pathology. And so we want to keep reading here to help us narrow it down. The patient relates that her condition started three days ago. So it's not like this is some kind of chronic condition that she's been dealing with for months, but it has started fairly recently. There's no apparent cause. So that really indicates to us that it's not a traumatic cause. It's not like she said she hit her head or fell or anything like that. And so again, kind of coming out of nowhere. Her vitals in the ED, let's see, 37 degrees Celsius, that's normal. Heart rate, 76 per minute is normal. Blood pressure is a little elevated, 142 over 96. And then respiration rate is normal. So overall, she's, not, she's pretty hemodynamically stable. It's not like she's crashing. So it's not, this is not, does not appear to be a, an immediately life-threatening condition. Let's keep reading for the exam. So the met, motor strength is 5 out of 5, and reflexes are 2 plus throughout all four extremities. So she has normal strength and normal reflexes throughout all four extremities. That decreases my suspicion for a stroke a little bit because usually stroke is going to present with some kind of weakness on one side of the body. Oftentimes it can cause facial drooping as well. And so the fact that her strength and reflexes are normal decreases my suspicion a little bit. So if we keep reading here, the sensation is intact throughout all four extremities. Again, in stroke, you could see sensation changes as well. And so again, that kind of decreases my suspicion as well. The position of the patient's eyes looking straight ahead with and without holding the left eyelid are shown in the diagram below. So let's take a look at this diagram here. So this one side here, you have the right eye here, the left eye here, same thing on this side here. This is without holding the left eyelid. So this is just letting her look straight ahead at rest. And you can see that the eyelid is drooping down enough to cover the entire eye. Versus if you look over here, when you hold the left eyelid open, preventing it from drooping down, you can see that the eye is pointing down and outward like this. And then also if you look at the pupil, it appears dilated compared to the right eye here. So definitely we're going to keep these in mind as we finish out the rest of the stem. Again, my initial thoughts here, you'd want to be thinking about potentially some kind of lesion compressing on the brain, potentially impacting one of the cranial nerves, uh, again, which could be a number of things. We'll go through the differential here in a second. Patient consumes six alcoholic drinks per day, so a very heavy drinker, smokes two packs of cigarettes per day, heavy smoker, and then has a BMI of 35, so she's obese as well. Heavy drinking, heavy smoking, and obesity are all risk factors for cardiovascular disease, stroke particularly, also cerebral aneurysms as well. Past medical history, significant for hypertension and diabetes. These are also significant risk factors for vascular disease. She takes propanolol, which is likely for hypertension, and then metformin, which is for her diabetes. So the differential diagnosis, we're suspicious that it's something vascular that's non-traumatic, and it's causing some kind of compression. Now, compression can come from a number of things. Compression can be caused by a mass, so 
an aneurysm, a brain tumor, a brain abscess, things like that. Compression can also result from bleeds, because remember the skull is, a, is a, essentially a closed box that contains the brain, and so as you bleed and fill up fluid in there, that can compress the brain and cause symptoms as well. So we want to think about stroke. Again, you know, this is in the emergency department. You definitely want to be thinking about anything serious that you want to rule out that could potentially, you know, kill a patient or cause devastating consequences for a patient. Carotid artery dissection is one that since there's a lot of nerve fibers traveling adjacent or even, or even on top of the carotid artery, when that dissects, that can cause neurological symptoms, especially in the face. And we'll go through those over the next few slides. Aneurysms, like we talked about, structurally as, as just a mass effect, they can cause symptoms and they can also burst and cause hemorrhage, which can also compress the brain and cause symptoms as well. And then brain mass, you know, either a tumor or an abscess. Now, when we start ruling things out here, the thing about a brain mass, a brain tumor, they're not giving us an a MRI scan or a CT scan, which is really what you'd need to further diagnose a brain tumor. You can't just diagnose that off of presentation and exam. And so it seems not likely, again, if you look at the answer choices here, carotid artery dissection, cerebral artery infarction, aneurysm, it's, this is clearly some kind of vascular problem. So you can cut that out here and then abscess as well. You know, her temperature is normal. There's no indication that she has some kind of severe infection that could have been leading to you know, an abscess. She's also, she's not immunocompromised, which puts patients at risk for developing abscesses as well. So that is lower down on our list as well. So really what we want to look at here is what of, which of these underlying pathology causes these type of symptoms with the eyes. And so let's go through these in a more detail. Let's get, get to the root of what causes this, and then we'll come back and go through the answer choices. So if we look at these three key things right here, complete ptosis of the left eyelid, left eye is down and out like this when looking straight ahead, and then the left pupil is dilated. So let's go through each of these. So first, complete ptosis of the left eyelid. So the big thing here is complete ptosis versus partial ptosis. So complete ptosis is what our patient has, which is drooping of the eyelid that covers the entire eye, versus partial ptosis, which we show here in this diagram, which is where you have drooping of the eyelid that partially covers the eye. So it doesn't cover the entire eye, as we show here. Now, complete ptosis is caused by paralysis of the levator palpebrae superioris muscle, which is innervated by cranial nerve 3 or the ocular motor nerves sending somatic efferent fibers because it's skeletal muscle. Here's levator palpebrae superioris right here. Here's the muscle right here. And you can see it coming down and attaching onto the eyelid. And again, muscles contract, muscles contract. It helps pull the eyelid up like that. You can see here, here's the tendon of levator palpebrae superioris as well right here. Again, muscles contract, they contract, it's going to pull the eyelid up. So it makes sense if you lose that, the eyelid's going to completely drop. Versus here, partial ptosis is caused by paralysis of the superior tarsal muscle, which is essentially an extension of levator palpebrae superioris muscle. And you can see that right here. You can also see it right here, superior tarsal muscle. So this essentially aids the levator palpebrae muscle in pulling up the eyelid. And so if you lose this muscle, sure you're gonna have a little bit of drooping of the eyelid, but since you still have the major muscle responsible for elevating the eyelid, it's only gonna drop partially, not completely covering the entire eye. And again, this is caused by damage to the cervical sympathetic efferent fibers, which one way you would get damage to these is actually through carotid artery dissection. Because the cervical sympathetic fibers run on top of the carotid artery, when you have a dissection or an aneurysm of this artery, it can impact those fibers, leading to partial ptosis. 
So that decreases our suspicion for carotid artery dissection because if it were that, the patient would more so have partial ptosis versus a complete ptosis. All right, so moving down to the second here, left eye is down and out when looking straight ahead. So we have a little diagram here that shows the left eye. This is a normal eye looking straight ahead. Medial rectus is going to pull it medially. Lateral rectus will pull it laterally. Superior rectus will pull it up. Inferior rectus will pull it down. And then inferior oblique, which you can see here attaching on the eye, kind of wraps around a pulley system here and pulls the eye upward and outward. And then superior oblique, which you can see here, again, wrapping around a pulley like this and attaching here, that's going to essentially pull the eye down and out. Now, cranial nerve 3, or the ocular motor nerve, innervates superior rectus, medial rectus, inferior rectus, and inferior oblique. Lateral rectus is innervated by the abducens nerve, which is cranial nerve 6. And then the superior oblique is innervated by cranial nerve 4, which is the trochlear nerve. Now the eye muscles, just like any other muscles in the body, they act in equilibrium. So if you lose one muscle, the muscle that, cause, that is responsible for the opposing force is going to act unopposed. So if you lose cranial nerve 3, you're going to lose all of these muscles here. And so lateral rectus and superior oblique will act unopposed. So lateral rectus is obviously going to pull the eye laterally, and then superior oblique is going to pull it down and out. Hence, down and out is how our patient is presenting. And so it appears that cranial nerve 3 is damaged, and then cranial nerve 6 and cranial nerve 4 are acting unopposed, pulling the patient's eye down and outward. So again, further supporting our suspicion here for an ocular motor nerve palsy. And again, this just shows the ocular motor nerve here coming in. It has a superior division, which goes up and innervates the levator palpebri superioris. Remember what's involved in elevating the eyelid. Then it comes here, has a fiber that innervates the superior rectus muscle. And then you come down here and it innervates the inferior rectus muscle and the inferior oblique muscle here. And you can see that here with the inferior division of cranial nerve three. The ocular motor nerve also sends fibers that innervate the pupillary sphincter. And we'll talk about that on the next slide. Again, here coming down here, you look at this. Here's cranial nerve 3 coming and innervating medial rectus here. And then down here, you have cranial nerve 6, which, you know, different nucleus in the brainstem, different cranial nerve, comes out and innervates lateral rectus. And again, this just further supports that an ocular motor nerve palsy is obviously responsible for this down and out appearance. Lastly, the left pupil is dilated. So you can see that here compared to the right eye. This is what's called midriasis. It's also known as blown pupil. All right, so if we look at this diagram here, this, this shows innervation of two muscles that act on the pupil. So the first muscle is the pupillary sphincter or sphincter pupillae, and this is innervated by cranial nerve three. So fibers, parasympathetic fibers from cranial nerve three come and innervate the pupillary sphincter, which causes the pupil to constrict. That's a parasympathetic response. And then you have the dilator pupillae muscle, which does the opposite, which dilates the pupil and allows more light in, and that's a sympathetic response. And the sympathetic fibers innervating the, the dilator pupillae muscle are coming from those cervical sympathetic fibers here, which you see wrapping around the carotid artery here. And so again, 
carotid artery dissection would impact these sympathetic fibers innervating the dilator pupillae muscle. So in an ocular motor nerve palsy, you lose these parasympathetic fibers that are innervating the pupillary sphincter, which then results in the dilator pupillae muscle acting completely unopposed and dilating the pupil as wide as possible. And so that's why you end up with the se severely dilated pupil compared to the normal eye here, which giving you midriasis. And again, since these cervical sympathetic fibers are intact, they can act unopposed, and so they innervate the, the dilator pupillae muscle, which acts unopposed. So just to summarize here, ocular motor nerve palsy, you have the eye down and out in the resting position. When looking straight ahead, you have midriasis, so you have significant dilation of the pupil compared to the normal eye, and then complete ptosis of the eyelid. So if we come back to the case here, we have a cranial nerve three, or ocular motor palsy, and so what this question is essentially asking is which of the following underlying pathology are gonna cause a cranial nerve three palsy. So first, a left internal carotid artery dissection. So sure, this is on the left side. If it were the left carotid artery, if it were one of the carotid arteries, it would be the left. The thing is that a carotid artery dissection is gonna be usually a traumatic, some kind of neck manipulation or trauma to the neck. And then it's gonna result in what's called Horner syndrome, which gives you partial ptosis, anhydrosis, which is inability to sweat. So you're essentially gonna have dry skin on one half of the face and neck. And then meiosis, because you'll lose those sympathetic fibers that are responsible for dilating the pupil. So it's gonna be the opposite of here. You're gonna have a constricted pupil versus a dilated pupil. And so it really does not seem likely that the, it was a carotid artery dissection. One, it's the patient didn't experience any trauma, no apparent cause. And then also they have a complete ptosis versus a partial ptosis, which is what you'd see in Horner syndrome. There's no mention of dry skin or anything like that. And then she has a dilated pupil versus a constricted pupil, which would be meiosis. She's also not complaining of headache. And then another thing we'd mention here is that carotid artery dissection can lead to an embolic stroke or secondary stroke. Anterior cerebral artery infarction, so on the right side it would be causing a left lower extremity weakness, contralateral ex weakness mainly in the lower extremity. Her strength is 5 out of 5 in all four extremities, so it seems very unlikely that it would be an anterior cerebral artery infarction. Middle cerebral artery infarction, we covered this in the previous Da Vinci cases. Again, you're going to have contralateral weakness really of the entire body, but mainly the upper extremity more so than the lower extremity. You're also going to see some facial droop as well with an MCA stroke as well, which this patient isn't presenting with. So that leaves us with, it looks like it's either an aneurysm of the anterior communicating artery or an aneurysm of the left posterior communicating artery. And so we want to answer which one of these is most likely to cause an ocular motor nerve palsy. And so to answer that, we need to look at cerebrovascular anatomy in relation to the anatomy of the ocular motor nerve or cranial nerve three. So if we look at the arteries, remember the internal carotid artery comes in here and it splits into the MCA, which goes more laterally. And then you have the ACA or anterior cerebral artery, which goes more medially and supplies the medial aspect. And same thing here on this side. This is going to be your MCA on your left side. It's your right side. And that's going to split into your ACA here. And remember the anterior communicating artery also known as the ACOM, 
is going to help form an anastomosis between both anterior cerebral arteries. Then if we come down here in the posterior circulation, so you have the vertebral arteries that come together and then they form the basilar artery, which is going to travel up the ventral surface of the brainstem, and then that's going to split into the PCA, or posterior cerebral arteries. And then the posterior cerebral arteries are going to anastomose with the MCAs via the posterior communicating arteries here. And so these are known as the PCOM. And so if you look at an if there's an aneurysm here in the anterior communicating artery, that's near the frontal lobe. So if it's large enough, it could cause frontal lobe symptoms like cognitive changes or personality changes. It, this diagram doesn't do a good job of illustrating it, but it could also compress on the optic chiasm and cause what's called a bitemporal hemianopia. And then if we come back here and look at a posterior communicating artery aneurysm, that's right adjacent to our ocular motor nerve. And so something you want to keep in mind is that an aneurysm of the posterior communicating artery can cause a mass effect on the ocular motor nerve resulting in a ocular motor nerve palsy, which our patient has. So if we come back to the question here. It's not likely an aneurysm of the anterior communicating artery because the cranial nerve three doesn't really travel adjacent to the anterior communicating artery. That's more so going to impact the optic chiasm, which could result in that bitemporal hemianopia, or if it's large enough, it could impact the frontal lobe, which could result in cognitive changes or personality changes, much more likely to be an aneurysm of the left posterior communicating artery, which then would impinge on cranial nerve three, giving you cranial nerve three palsy. All right, that's all I have for you this week. Make sure you check back every Wednesday for new Da Vinci cases. And then to see the corresponding video for this audio, check out our website at dviacademy.com, where you can also find PDF notes for this audio as well. Also on our site, you can find our book and video packages for anatomy and biochemistry. You can also follow us on Instagram for weekly posts and video. And then lastly, if you have any questions about the content of this video or about DaVinci Academy, put them in the comments and our team will be sure to answer them. All right, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.